Thanks for listening to this audio sermon from the pulpit of Covenant Presbyterian Church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee, a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America. You can learn more about us by visiting our website, www.covenant-pca.com. And let's read together in Micah. We'll be looking at verses 6 through 11. This is the fourth oracle Micah has pronounced. We looked at number three last week in verses one through five, and now he speaks another oracle. He will conclude this section of of oracles uh, with verses 12 and 13, and we'll look at those next week as he brings, as we saw in the introductory material weeks ago now, as he brings this, this series of oracles which are largely pronouncements of guilt against the people and, and the subsequent woes, the sentences that are pronounced, he closes with words of hope. I will surely assemble all of you, O Jacob. I will gather the remnant of Israel. I will set them together like sheep in a fold. So to a people who are sinful and wayward, there's hope. There's hope for those who are by grace, through faith, trusting in Messiah. And so uh, we'll see that next week. Let's look at the fourth oracle. Beginning in verse 6, follow along as I read God's inerrant word. Do not preach, thus they say. Do not preach, one should not preach of such things. Disgrace will not overtake us. Should this be said, O house of Jacob? Has the Lord grown impatient? Are these his deeds? Do not my words do good to him who walks uprightly. But lately my people have risen up as an enemy. You strip the rich robe from those who pass by trustingly with no thought of war. The women of my people you drive out from their delightful houses. From their young children you take away my splendor forever. Arise. And go, for this is no place to rest, because of uncleanness that destroys with a grievous destruction. If a man should go about and utter wind and lies, saying, I will preach to you of wine and strong drink, he would be the preacher for this people. May the Lord bless the reading and the hearing of his word to the souls of his people for their good. And for his glory. Father, we ask you to illumine our minds, but not just our minds, that you would invigorate our sluggish bodies at this hour, that you would keep us attentive to your word, that we would learn from you, that we'd continue to see the the wonderful relevance of your holy, infallible word, and that we would grow, that we'd grow, that our, our spiritual roots would be planted deeper and deeper, strengthened. This we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we read in Jude about Korah's rebellion. You remember what happened to Korah? Korah was was a false prophet, a false teacher, and he was swallowed up in the earth. Uh, Ahab, during the time of King Ahab, he had his stable of false prophets who, who would prophesy what he wanted to hear. Uh, during, during the time of Amos, Amos had uh, his competition, the false prophet, prophet Amaziah. 
uh, Jeremiah. Jeremiah had Hananiah. So, you know, whenever there's been the, the true preaching of the word, there's also been the false preaching of the word. This is just always the way it's been. Uh, that's the reason Paul, he had good reason to remind the, the church at Ephesus when he called the elders uh, to Miletus. He called the elders from Ephesus to come over and he said, now look, you need to be doing what you're supposed to be doing, teaching the people, training the people in the things of God, in His Word, because there will be those who will come in from the outside to lead you astray, and there will even be those who rise up from within your midst who will try to lead you astray. So there's always the truth and the falsehood. Uh, we, we have men that way today uh, who would say things like, surely God wouldn't judge His people. And uh, they base that on the fact that, well, God is love. And so they love to quote John from 1 John, God is love. And love seems to preclude judgment. Except that we have this, this big God who's bigger than that, who's, who's a God of love and a God of judgment. He's a God of mercy and grace, and He's a God of justice and wrath. And all of His holy being has to be satisfied. We have those that would, would rule out the case, uh, the chance of punishment. Uh, and then when men stand up in pulpits and, and proclaim the word faithfully, uh, they're scorned for being too honest or too harsh. Uh, and so it goes. What was true in the Old Testament with the prophets, what was true in the New Testament with the apostles is true today and always has been. Listen to the way Rick Phillips summarizes. He says, false prophecy remains the bane of God's people. Whether Bible-believing Christians confront evolution, abortion, the sexual debaucheries of pornography and homosexuality, racism, or supercharged materialism, at the forefront of our opposition are false prophets who assuage the sinful consciences and lull people into a deeper and deeper moral slumber. Now that's back to the Scotsman, John Mackay's comment that we looked at in chapter 1 in the introductory matter in those first two weeks. Micah is dealing with a people who are complacent. And he's trying to puncture, as Mackay said, puncture their complacency to bring them back to a place of reality to see what truth is. And so just as Moses and Amos and just like today, so Micah has hits false prophets. And uh, you see that there in verse 6. There are people out there who are preaching against him, saying, don't preach that, Micah. Don't, 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 don't preach that, Micah. One should not preach such things. Then he addresses whoever he or they would be. He addresses this issue. That is, Micah has said that these people are going to be disgraced. They're going to be taken into exile. And so they say, disgrace will never overtake us. Now, what was their basis for saying that? Well, I'll say this again in a few minutes, but the basis was, we're God's covenant people. We're God's covenant people. He'll take care of us. Now, the fact is, see, sin makes you irrational. The fact is that 
God has dealt with His people and He's warned His people from Leviticus to Deuteronomy to Micah that if you keep my commandments, I will bless you. And if you break my commandments, I will curse you. It doesn't matter that you're, in fact, that's exactly my plan for my people. In order to keep them moving in the right direction, I will do whatever it takes. And so, these people are saying, no, that's not the God. That's not our God. Now, some of you talked to someone this past week probably who said, well, I just, I, I just don't believe in a God like that. Well, then you believe in a false God. And we have to tell people that lovingly and patiently. All right, three, two things I want us to see. There will always be competing messages. Always. We'll, we'll always have this. And, uh, and here they are. They're saying, Micah, even if you think, even if you think these things, these are things you shouldn't say. Micah, you're scaring people. Can you imagine? Now, we, we don't have any real record of Noah preaching. There's a, you know, there's the legend that Noah preached. And, but can you imagine? I mean, Noah had to say something over that hundred years or so that he was building the ark. And they, they asked, what are you doing? And he had, you know, I'm, I'm doing this. God told me to do this. I mean, that would just be the normal course of a day, probably, if not a week or month, at, at least you know, occasionally they'd say, so tell us again, Noah, what are you doing and why? And so he would tell them. And what do you think they did? Obviously, what they did was laugh in some cases. Sometimes they would simply say, Noah, you know, even, you know, you're scaring people, Noah. This idea that all of a sudden things are going to be destroyed with rain, and we don't even know what that is, and, and rain, water, you're scaring people. And that's what they're telling Micah here. You shouldn't preach that way, Micah. Do not preach that way. It's interesting. Uh, do not preach, thus, say, thus they preach. Uh, some translations, do not prophesy, thus they prophesy. Uh, and, and, but the word preach is a better word because it's not the word that's typically translated for prophet or prophesying. It, it, it literally is a word that means dripping. We, you know, you get the sense of just kind of sentimentalism, sentimental, syrupy sentimentalism. And so they're just, they're just saying what the people are thinking. They're preaching what the people are thinking. They're not preaching what God has said. They're not saying, thus saith the Lord. They're taking the temperature, you know, they're taking the statistical temperature, they're taking the pole temperature, and they're just saying what the people are thinking. That's what they preach. And actually, that makes for a pretty comfortable auditorium, doesn't it? I mean, let's face it. When I stand here and I say things that, 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 that are really comforting about God's grace and God's love, that's comfortable for most of us. But when we talk about these kind of hard things, when we talk about loved ones that may spend eternity in hell separated from our, our, not only our presence, but more importantly, the presence of our God, that's a little tougher. That doesn't make for as, as easy an exit on Sunday morning or Sunday night. 
I mean, it doesn't surprise me at all that big buildings can be filled up by motivational speakers who carry the, labor pastor, the label of pastor. It doesn't surprise me that people would flock to those kind of buildings. shouldn't surprise any of us. And so these people, you know, there's a great example of that in American Presbyterian history back in the 1870s. There was a man who was just teaching atrocious things out in the Midwest in Chicago. His name was David Swing. And he was brought up on charges for teaching contrary to the Bible and the, and the confession of faith. And uh, his presbytery acquitted him. Well, F, uh, Francis Patton, who went on to be famous as the president of Princeton University, he was the president at the time. It changed from being the College of New Jersey to Princeton University in the late 1890s. Francis Patton protested that and, 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 and brought charges against him at the synod level. And he, rather than going through this process, just simply uh, renounced the ministry as a Presbyterian and went off and started his own big church in Chicago and took about 3,000 folks over to listen to him preached his Dr. Feelgood sermons. People will flock to that. So it shouldn't surprise us when we turn on the television and we see these big halls filled up with, with that kind of preaching. I don't get the sense that Micah got that kind of turnout. We know what Micah's going to say. He's going to say, repent and believe. He's going to say it over and over. He's going to say it till I'm sick of hearing it. And, I, you know, why go? You know, he doesn't give us anything practical. And so they're just dripping this syrupy sentimentalism and preaching. And it, 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 it shouldn't surprise us. Jeremiah 6, 14 says that these very same men will say, peace, peace, when there is no peace. They're saying, Micah, don't, don't scare the people with this, this gloom and doom, this exile thing. Surely God will never bring us to disgrace. So there's always going to be competing messages. And I'm not talking about, you know, this nuance of theological truth versus this nuance of theological truth. I'm talking about falsehood and truth. And here you have a clear example. They said, disgrace will not overtake us. Micah said, it will overtake us. That's black and white. <clears throat> Second thing I want you to see. Oh, and by the way, you do know that you shouldn't become disheartened by this. The fact that people will flock to flowery, motivational, oriented. I'm using quotations for the sermons. Those aren't sermons. But, you know, don't become discouraged by that. Jesus said in John 10, My sheep hear my voice and follow me. He said, I will have a people. He said, my church, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He will have his church. He will, as we will see next week, assemble his people together, O Jacob. And it may be in small flocks here and there, larger flocks sprinkled in, 
but eventually it's going to be one whopping big flock according to Revelation chapter 7. Numbers beyond counting. And so, don't be discouraged by the fact that there are competing messages. We just have to have our ears finely attuned to that and be able to discerningly respond when we have loved ones who come having heard these kind of offbeat messages and speak the truth to them in love. There will always be competing messages. There will always be consecrated messages. Always. God will always have His spokesman. He will always have His messengers. It's always been true at every point in church history. I often tell the students when doing modern uh, uh, historical theology, you know, the temptation is to deal with modern church history, 1700 to the present, uh, along the line of liberalism. You start with Frederick Schleiermacher, the, the father of modern theology, and you move straight through the, the German rationalist of the 19th century into the early 20th century of neo-orthodoxy and liberalism and social gospel, etc., right up to the present day. And, the, and it's, it's real easy to teach a course on modern church history just teaching liberalism. And you'd miss the fact that at every point... God raised up great and able men to speak consecrated messages against that kind of nonsense and that kind of untruth. He always has. And He always will. He's promised that the gates of hell shall not prevail and that His truth will be there and that His people will hear it and love it and follow it. And so we stay encouraged by that. Let's look at this. What is a consecrated message? It's a message, as Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, it's a message that will encourage us. It's a message that will exhort us. It's a message that will rebuke us. It's a message that will correct us. It's a message that will call us to repentance. It'll be all those things. It won't be one or the other. It'll be all of that. Because, see, we're all sinners, we can sin, and we do sin. And, uh, and so we need to be called to repentance, and we need to be called to new faith every day. First thing I want you to see from this passage is consecrated preaching will always present the whole truth and not just the smooth theology. That's what Rick Phillips calls this 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 nice and, and syrupy stuff, the smooth theology. What they've done is they've gone in and they've tried to take out all the rough edges. You know, anything objectionable. Oh, don't think of yourself as a bad person. Everybody's basically good. I heard one of these smooth theology uh, proponents not long ago. He said, if you're going to a church where they tell you you're sinning too much, you just come on here. If you can't get here, just watch me on TV. I'm like, what is this? That's smooth theology. That's Micah. Don't preach like that. Don't preach like Paul taught us to preach. Don't preach the rebuking and correcting part. Just preach the encouraging part. But the consecrated preaching will always preach the whole truth. You know... No doubt what's going on here is these men are preaching 
only a part of the truth. You know, that's usually what falsehood is. It's part truth. And part truth is not true truth. That was, you know, to borrow Francis Schaeffer's term, the true truth. Because there's, there is a part truth out there somewhere that sounds good to the ear and could easily draw us away. And we realize at the end it's not the whole truth. And Schaefer said, we have, to, we have to deal with the true truth, the full truth, all the truth, and nothing but the truth. And so here, these men are no doubt saying, okay, disgrace will not overtake us, Micah. Don't you understand, Micah? God has made covenant promises. He's covenanted with us. He's promised us that we will have good things. We're going to have the land. We'll have a king. And Micah's saying, yes, but remember the rest of the covenant relationship? He's demanded that we be responsible covenant citizens. God has demanded that we obey him, that we keep covenant with him. And when we don't keep covenant covenant with him by his grace, he will do just what he said he will do. He will send those Against us, he will cast us out. And so, the part truth here the consecrated preacher will always preach the whole truth. You know, Hebrews 5, the end of Hebrews 5, the beginning of Hebrews 6 is a classic passage where the writer has to, has to chastise, has to really kind of rough up the folks because they, they've just settled for, 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 the lightweight stuff. They've, they've just fallen in love with chocolate milk, and so they just sit around and sip on chocolate milkshakes all the time. And Paul says, you need to be able to eat solid food. You need to move away from just the elementary things. Nothing wrong with the elementary things. And, and by the way, kids... I love chocolate milkshakes. Don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with a good chocolate milkshake. There's nothing wrong with the elementary things of the faith. We build on those things. And we go on to the, to the more substantial things of God's Word so that we can grow and grow. If we just sat and drank only milk or only chocolate milk or only even milk chocolate milkshakes... We wouldn't grow. Our bodies wouldn't be as strong. Our minds wouldn't be as sharp as they should be and could be. We have to eat all those basic food groups that your mom puts so faithfully before your, your face in the plate. You know, the green stuff and the meat and the bread too, by the way, and the butter. And so the writer to Hebrews says, you should be on solid food. And so the consecrated preacher preaches the solid food. He causes people, it was said of Spurgeon, I think Spurgeon actually said this. They ask how, how, he, how he seemed to accomplish this, that his people seemed to always be striving and, uh, for more and growing. They seem to be learning more. How do you do this? And he said, well, it's because I always put the cookies on the shelf just out of reach so they have to stretch for it. The cookies being... God's word, the truth, the good stuff. And he wanted them to have to, to stretch for it. 
That's the lesson we learn in all of life, isn't it? Anything worth having is worth stretching for. Sometimes you have to, it's not easy to attain those goals. You have, to, you have to press for it and stretch for it. Well, the same thing here. So the consecrated preacher is going to preach those things that you may say, boy, I'm going to have to chew on that a while. I'm going to have to go home and think about this a while. I'm going to have to read more on this. That's good. That's a good place to be. Consecrated preaching also points fingers. Here in verse 6, after they've said, don't preach this, Micah responds, should this be said, O house of Jacob? Has the Lord grown impatient? Are these his deeds? Should this be? Should you be asking this question? Has the Lord grown impatient? Of course he has. He is impatient with you sinners. He's patient as well. And and the patience is going to be seen in the fact that he's he's going to put off the destruction, put off the exile for another hundred years or so. Because of the repentance of the people, the revival that's led by Hezekiah. Has, has, has the Lord grown impatient? Are these his deeds? In other words, these preachers are saying things like, would God really do this? Would he really do this? Would he really send us into exile? And Micah's saying, are you asking that question? Have we grown so spiritually fat, so spiritually flabby that we would actually ask that question? And then commentators generally agree, and the majority certainly do, that then God picks up the discourse. After Micah responds to the do not preach, Micah says, are things in this bad a condition that you would say this and that the people would follow this kind of smooth theology? And then God speaks. Micah, presenting the words of the Lord, do not my words do good. To him who walks uprightly. But lately, my people, see, only God can say that. Pastors often fall prey to talking about my church and my session and my deacons. And that's a bad habit. So if you ever catch me doing that, you know, don't slout me because my glasses are expensive, but you might warp them, but, but you know, nudge me or. or, or gnarl at me or something to get my attention. You know, this is not my church. This is the Lord Jesus Christ church. And these men are not my elders. They're God's elders for you. And these are not my deacons. They're God's deacons for you. This is my people, God said. My people lately, they've risen up as an enemy. Isn't that what Paul says in the New Testament? We're enemies of God. I mean, we, we, we can be enemies of God. You strip the rich robe from those who pass by trustingly with no thought of war. The women of my people you drive out from their delightful houses, from their young children you take away my splendor forever. So Micah's pointing fingers. The Lord's pointing fingers. And he says, look, you've become my enemies. That's what smooth theology, that's what soft words produce. Enemies of God. Because they're not for God, then they must be against God. Isn't that what Jesus said? If you're not for me, you're against me. And so, 
Micah goes into detail, quoting the words of the Lord here. My people, my people have become my enemies. And here's some of the things they've done. He's just rehearsing what we talked about last week. Uh, My people uh, have risen up as an enemy. You strip the rich robe from those who pass by trustingly with no thought of war. Now, there's a little difficulty here with this uh, no thought of war. Uh, If you have New King James in your lap, you notice that it it says uh, uh, returning from war. Returning from war, no thought of war. That's different. And so there's two different minds on this from the commentators, the scholars. One is that these people are stripping the people, these same people that they put out of their homes, that we read about last week, as they, as they run them out of their houses, they say, oh, uh, I like that coat. Here, I'll keep that too. And one, one thought is that it should be translated returning from war. They, these people have... Have, they're like men who've been off to war and they've become, they've become hardened and they've become desensitized to blood and to, to hurt. And so it doesn't bother them. You've took their home. What's, I mean, what's taking a coat when you've taken their home? They're hard-peated, hard-hearted people. Uh, the other school is that the translation of the ESV is, is more proper with no thought of war. In other words, they've become enemies of God and they don't think that God would, would, would turn on them. They think they can get away with murder, in other words, and that there be no recourse. There be no response. There be no war. We're God's enemies and he won't fight against us because we're his covenant people. I tend to think the latter is what's being communicated here. These people have grown so hard-hearted that they really don't think a second thought that God might do anything to them. And that's a sad place to be. That's a dangerous place to be for anyone, whether outside the covenant community or inside the covenant community, to think that God would, God would never do this. When in fact the book of Hebrews tells us that He will because He loves His people. Just as a father disciplines a son out of love, so God will discipline his children out of love. And so Micah speaks forth, the women of my people you drive out from their delightful houses. From their young children you take away my splendor forever, my holiness. In other words, they were doing things to children that, that, that desecrated the, the name of humanity in the name of God. These were wicked people, and God's pointing the finger at them. So consecrated preaching will always point the finger at sin, will always condemn, will always. You can't help but thinking, can you, when you read of the women being driven out of their homes and the young children take uh, the splendor taken away from them. You can't help but think of, of Isaiah one twenty one and of James one twenty six. Turn with me to, to Isaiah. That one's closest. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 1 and be reminded of what God says about this. This is, remember, religion pure and undefiled is to care for the widow, to care for the, the orphans. And here these people... 
These people have no regard for pure and undefiled religion. Chapter 1 of Isaiah, verse 21. How the faithful city has become a whore. She who was full of justice, righteousness lodged in her, but now murderers. Your silver has become dross, your best wine mixed with water. Your princes, in other words, they're dishonest. Your princes are rebels and companions of thieves. Everyone loves a bribe and runs after gifts. They do not bring justice to the fatherless, the children, the orphans, and the widow's cause does not come to them. That's what James refers to as religion, pure and undefiled. And in Micah, it is a religion of materialism, not a religion of God's ordaining. So, God points the finger and says, you were wrong. Smooth theology, soft preaching doesn't do that. But you know what happens when soft preaching goes on over and over and over again? People's hearts become hardened. They become settled in their ways. They think, oh, everything's okay. They think peace, peace, when there is no peace between them and God. And that's the real disgrace. Not that God would disgrace a people, but that people don't know the truth about God and about what He does, about what He says, about who He is. And the last thing I want you to see concerning, there's always going to be consecrated preaching, consecrated message is that consecrated preaching pronounces the sentence on repentance. Micah goes straight into it here. And he says in verse 10, Arise and go, for this is no place to rest, because the uncleanness destroys with a grievous destruction. Get ready. You're about to be put out of your land. You're about to lose your homes. The homes that you had, the homes you've stolen from others, they're not going to be yours any longer. Arise. Arise and go, for this is no place to rest. There would be no rest for you wicked people. Isn't that true? Even when some little sin creeps into your life, there's just no rest, is there? There's no peace. You have to deal with that. There has to be repentance before you can have rest and peace, before you can sleep well, before you can face people during the everyday life. There has to be dealing with that sin. Arise and go. There's no peace for you in this place. As long as you want to enjoy your sin, live in your sin, the uncleanness that destroys with a grievous destruction. So there will always be competing messages out there. And there will always be consecrated messages. That consecrated preaching will tell the truth of God's word, the whole truth. It will uh, point fingers and it will it'll pronounce the, the sentence, the judgment. But notice how it closes here. He concludes this oracle saying, If a man should go about and utter winds of lies, saying, and here he gives an example. Here's one of the lies they might, they might just preach. I will preach to you of wine and strong drink. And, and here, what he's, what he's saying is, as, as one commentator puts it, this is nothing different than what the Epicureans were preaching 
that Paul rebuked them for in the book of Acts, eat, drink, and be merry. And they didn't finish the rest of it. Eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow you die. They just simply preached, eat, drink, and be merry. You know, go ahead, indulge yourself. Drink all you want, eat all you like. Don't worry about it. And they've forgotten what the preacher said in Ecclesiastes chapter 11. Young men, go ahead, enjoy yourselves. Do what you like. Do everything you like, as much as you like, whenever you like. And then the preacher said this, but know this, God will bring you to judgment. See, the real preacher in Ecclesiastes preaches Go, go ahead, live the life you want to live, but know God's going to get you. Micah preached that. The smooth theology just preaches, go ahead, enjoy life. God made this, as one of those smooth theology preachers said once, God intended for this life to be a big party, so have a party. Well, is that really what God intended? Well, not according to... Not a party according to the world, but love and peace and joy according to the Holy Spirit. There's a world of difference, isn't there? So, you already know, I don't have to tell you, that people prefer the soft preaching. People prefer the motivational speaker. So I want to ask you to pray for your pastor and pray for your elders that we won't give in to that kind of temptation that we'll be faithful to preach God's Word in season, as Paul says to Timothy, and out of season, and that God would use it to make us holy people. And we should never find ourselves in the position of verse 10, arise and go, for this is no place to rest. We want this to be a place of rest, don't we? Don't we want Covenant Presbyterian Church, the worship services, to be a place of rest? a place where truth is proclaimed, a a place where we can enjoy knowing our God and serving Him. So pray that that be true, now and forever, for God's glory. And that we'd repent every time we're tempted to say, you know, it'd just be nice to leave feeling good every week. You know what? There is a way to leave feeling good every week. And that's by repenting of our sins and trusting Christ. We can leave feeling good every week if we're willing to repent. We just pray that God would grant us the grace to repent over and over and over again. Father, we do ask you for that, and we thank you for your wonderful grace. Help us to be people who trust you, who receive the message when it's hard, as well as when it's kind and full of grace, and we'll give you the glory for making us that kind of people. Grant us repentance. Grant us more faith, Lord. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray in his name. Amen. Well, let's sing our way. Thanks again for listening to this audio sermon from the pulpit of Covenant Presbyterian Church. These sermons are provided for the edification of church members who wish to hear the sermons again and for those who are providentially hindered from attending our services. We believe the Bible teaches there is no substitute for faithful attendance to worship and membership in a Bible-believing evangelical church. 
If you are in the East Tennessee area, we encourage you to visit our church in Oak Ridge. If you reside elsewhere, we encourage you to seek out a good church in your area. For help in doing so, or if you have any other questions or comments, please contact us at cpcsermons at gmail.com. Again, you may learn more about us by visiting our website, www.covenant-pca.com. Blessings to you.